And I'm finishing your series tonight on disciplines that make a difference. And the, the kind of framework that we're addressing this is the fact that just by believing something doesn't mean to say you'll change the world. So believing something doesn't change the world. Lots of people believe lots of different things. I believe that we're in a climate crisis, but it doesn't mean to say I'm doing anything about it. I am actually, but you might not know that. But just believing it doesn't mean to say I'm actually doing something. You actually have to practice something. So believing something doesn't change the world. Was that my husband laughing at me just then? <laughs> I walk everywhere. Right, believing something doesn't change the world, but practicing something does. Because practicing something is what makes the difference. When, makes the difference. when you practice something, repeatedly, you are changed. It changes you. It reforms your mind. It restructures your thinking. When you practice things, it actually changes your responses. And when we practice the disciplines of Jesus, they're there to make us more loving, more forgiving, more sacrificial, less selfish. So the practices are everything. So the disciplines make disciples. What you practice is what actually is what changes and transforms the world. Disciplines develop disciples. Now, we've had a few um, talks already given. So we started with fasting. And Philip talked to us about how when you fast, it's like you physically weaken yourself so that you can feel that dependence on God. And when you fast, it's like your body actually becomes a prayer. It becomes the prayer before God, strengthening your prayer. And then Susanna did an excellent talk on intercession. And intercession is like praying those big prayers, not just prayers for yourself, but prayers for the world. When you pray big and ask God to do big things, you are affecting, you are transforming, you're changing your world. And then last week, Philip gave a fantastic talk. And it was all about giving. And it was about how giving will deliver you, it will free you from the powerful control of money. So giving will free you, it liberates you. And I think that's what we find about a lot of these disciplines, that a lot of them are actually to do with, with freedom and actually walking in freedom and liberation. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about the discipline of Sabbath. So that was a fantastic um, interview with Jelena. It's sort of all my preachers in there already. Um, but the Sabbath is like this taking of a 24-hour period in the week where you don't do anything. Now, Sabbath comes from the word Shabbat, and it means stop. It means in the, in once a week, you just you stop from everything that you're doing, and you rest, and you take a break from life. You come out of life, out of the busyness, out of the schedules. You just take a break. Now, I think, I believe that Sabbath has the answer to many of the ills and the difficulties and the problems that we face in our lives today. We don't know how to stop anymore. We have forgotten how to rest. And we almost need to resurrect this notion of Sabbath taking one day out of the week to stop. Because what you have, and you and I have, is we are, we're permanently plugged into devices. So we've got an endless stream of content that is available to us. And it is designed to keep our eyes focused on it. And it, it doesn't really, it's so addictive, it doesn't give us any peace. It doesn't give us a break. 
We have people are accessible to us and we're accessible to people. People can get hold of us through all these different mediums, WhatsApp, Messenger, text, phone. You never have that break from being at the beck and call of others. And work-life balance, that has changed enormously in the last few years. We used to go to work, work nine to five, come home. Nowadays, we work from home. And it's really hard to put a boundary between where your work begins and where your, kind of, your life begins. So where do I put a boundary around work and actually just live my own life? And when do I get rest? Shopping is the same. When I was a young girl, people, shops were closed on a Sunday. I did the research about cinemas because I never went to the cinema when I was a child. And I thought, were well, cinemas actually open? Cinemas were open on Sundays from the 1950s. Do you know the church would not allow the cinemas to be open because they thought that people would go to the cinema and not to church? So there you go. But shops were not open on a Sunday. You had to stay at home. You had to hang out with your family. We used to play Monopoly. We used to just enjoy the company of our family and our friends. You didn't go shopping. Nowadays, you can shop on a Sunday. You can shop all through the night, thanks to Amazon. And we just never get a rest from that kind of consumer lifestyle. Every single day looks the same. Nothing special about any day. We're constantly at work. We're constantly busy. We're constantly participating in, in an economic life and an econ economic society. We just, we get no rest. And so it's, it's this that is actually causing so many problems for us and this generation because it's tiring to be constantly looking disseminating information material, being constantly available to people, to the world, constantly working and aware of all the difficulties and the problems around you. We just, we don't get a break from it and it is causing us to become unhealthy. It's because it's causing people to become mentally unhealthy. It is exhausting. There's more anxiety. There's more stress. There's more depression. There's more difficulties. And we just, we need something to come and change, come and change our lives to help us to do it better. And this is where the word of God comes in with this incredible notion of this rest day, this Sabbath. And it's all the way through the Old Testament. Do you know, it starts right in Genesis, this idea of Sabbath, this, this ratio six to one. You work six days, but one day you rest. And I'm going to read from Isaiah, who says this about the Sabbath. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, and if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. Now, I'm going to confess to you now, just so that I don't look and sound like a hypocrite, but I have not always observed the Sabbath for a long time, even as a Christian, I thought there's nothing in the New Testament to say that I should. I don't need to obey the Ten Commandments because of Jesus. That means I can go around killing people and stealing things. And, you know, the Ten Commandments weren't abolished. They are there. And the Sabbath is one of them. 
But I just thought, oh, I don't need to obey that one. I can just do what I like. And so I spent years and years not complying with the Sabbath. Now, there was a problem for me because I grew up in a non-Christian family. So people who didn't go to church, didn't believe in Jesus. And my family, we were middle class and we, by all means and standards, we, we had quite a lot of money. But my family were always worried that they wouldn't have enough money. They were worried. And they worked. They thought, if we work hard enough, we can provide enough for us. And then we can have all the things we want. But we work, we work, we work. And I would say, they were almost workaholics. They just worked and worked and worked. But at the same time, there was this fear, this constant fear that if they didn't work, they would go into debt, we wouldn't be able to afford the lifestyle, everything would crumble, we would go under. There was this fear. And I think that I carried that fear on into my adult life and I brought it into my marriage with Philip. Now, when I married Philip, he would observe the Sabbath. He would languish around the house and I'd be going, why aren't you working? And I would quote, a little folding of the arms, a little slumber and poverty will come upon you like a bandit because that's in the Bible. It's not to do with the Sabbath. It's just about being lazy in general. But I just, I used to think you can't afford to be lazy, Philip. We will go under. And I lived in this constant threat that we were not going to have enough money to do our lives and that at any moment we could go under and my children would become criminals. That was genuinely what I thought. I thought, if we go under as a family, then my children would be criminals. Why did I think that? I don't know. But I did have this fear that if we didn't work, 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 if I didn't work, 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 work all the time, we would go under. And then one day something terrible happened. So I used to do a lot of the manual labour. Sorry, <laughs> you don't look very good right now. I used to do all the manual labour. <laughs> And we had this garden and it had all these really big trees and there was this one mallow and it was pulling down one of our walls in the, in the garden. And I just decided one day that I was going to dig this mallow out and I was, it was huge. I mean, the roots went really, really down. And I, so I got my fork, started digging, started going at the roots, started jigging it around. And after an hour, I just thought something's not right. You know when you do your back in, I don't think anyone here is old enough to have ever had a back injury, but you don't, note, you don't notice straight away. You just think, hmm, that feels a bit funny. Anyway, I kept going, kept going with this mallow, attacking it at the roots. And after an hour, I just thought, do you know, something does not feel right with my back. And then by the evening, it was excruciatingly painful. I actually, I ruptured three of the discs in my vertebrae. It was agony. Now, I've had children. I have given birth to two children. Okay, it was worse. It was more agony. I remember thinking, I'd rather give birth to 10 giants than have this <laughs> incredible, awful pain. And I just, I was immobilized. I just couldn't move. If I just moved this way, I'd be screaming out with pain. So I had to take lots of drugs, but I had to go to bed. I couldn't work anymore. I couldn't do anything to provide for myself or to stop my family from going under and my children becoming criminals. There was nothing I could do. I had to go to bed. And unfortunately, at exactly the same time, I thought, here we go, my husband will be able to look after me and he now can do all the work that I was doing. Philip went out and played squash and his Achilles tendon popped at the same time. At the same time, so what happened? The two of us were in bed together. 
And I, I looked at one of my newsletters. I used to write little Christmas newsletters. And I just said, Philip and I had to spend a month in bed together. It did wonders for our marriage. And then I, I realised that actually looked quite rude. But <laughs> Philip and I could not... Philip couldn't come near me. My back was that painful. But we were literally in this bed together, chatting away, trying to do life, trying to encourage each other, trying to find Jesus in it all. But what was amazing about that period is that the church just came around us. People came and brought my kids to school and back. People bought us food. People came and cleaned the house for me. It's a bit outrageous, isn't it? Um, but people just looked after us. And at the end of that month, I just realized that we didn't go under. And that was a massive revelation that if we weren't able to provide for ourselves and do the work of surviving, we didn't go under. And it was, had a massive effect on my faith and my ability to trust God. In fact, I thought, if I can trust God, if I can trust him for a month of my life and see that I don't go under, surely I can trust him for one day a week. So I began to put into practice this taking one day out, trusting God that the work that I didn't do, he would somehow make up for and he would provide for me even though I couldn't provide for myself. I mean, it's crazy when I look back on it. But that decision totally transformed my life. It transformed my Christian life. It transformed my married life, family, everything. And this is why it transformed my life. So I'm going to just pick out some of these words from this wonderful Isaiah text, which has the key. Because in this text, God gives us a promise. He gives us a promise, but it's a conditional promise. Do you know, God wants to give us, but he never forces his goods on us. It's always invitation. If you want to, you can. If, if you want the goods of the kingdom and me, this is what you need to do. But he will never force his kingdom or his goods or his blessing or his provision. He will never force it on you. But he does this invitation of if. And he says that if, if you, I'm looking for the next slide. There it is. He said, if you do this, what I'm looking for you is for you not to go about your own way, not doing as you please. This is the thing. If you can choose not to go your own way. And here we have that problem of the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve just said, do you know what? We're going to go off. We're going to do our own thing. We don't need God anymore to be in our lives. We're just going to go and do our life our way. And so God literally touches upon that original kind of decision and says, if you can make the decision not to go your own way, not to look to provide for your own self, not look to meet your needs outside of my, me and, and relationship with me. If you make a decision not to do that, then. And then he says, if you make a decision not to just do as you please. And this again, it's about, are we living to please and delight God? Are we looking to serve him and honor his ways? Or are we just living to please ourselves? Because we can think that a lot, lot of things are good and right, and they might look great, but they're not godly. You think, actually, I'm going to live my life looking after me, looking after my family, not looking after anybody else's interests. And that actually doesn't please God. But he says, will you put down the things that please you and actually seek in your life to please me? This is the choice. 
Do I want to do it or do I not? And then he says that if you choose my way, which is to call a Sabbath a delight. Interesting, isn't it? It's all about the Sabbath here. He says, if you choose to call my Sabbath a delight, and that call is actually to proclaim. It's a bit like evangelistic. Let everyone know that you're doing it. Let everyone know that you are coming to enter into time and rest with me. Let people know. But if you choose to make the Sabbath a delight, and that delight means you're looking for God in his time and in his way to provide for all of your needs. You're not striving to have everything in your life met by your own hands and by your own effort. But you're saying, I am going to find delight in God's Sabbath and I'm going to look to have all my needs met in that day. Because that is what the Sabbath was originally for. It was a day of delighting. God with his co-workers having the whole day off to rest and delight. And that word delight, I like it even more because actually translate it and it's the word luxuriate. Whoa, isn't that indulgent? Who thought that the Sabbath was about luxuriating with God? Now, I want you to know that Philip and Kate are the king and queen of luxuriate. We've really got this down to a fine art. We do it very well. So you come to our house on our Sabbath. And I, I pretty much don't get out of my onesie until about 11 o'clock. And I'm lounging on my lovely cream sofas, listening to a bit of Nicky Gumbel. And I'll have my hot cup of coffee. And I will just listen to the birds. And I will sometimes just play on the piano. But I will just lounge and slob and luxuriate around my own home. And while I'm doing this, my husband will be taking a two-hour-long bath. He likes to, he likes to clean himself. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> he loves to soak for hours in the bath. He calls himself a semi-aquatic mammal because he's like a little fish. So this is, what, this is what we do on our Sabbath. We just luxuriate in the presence of God. We do it with God. We look for the ways that we encounter him and how we find him and delight in him. And there's lots of different ways that we do it. Sometimes it's like, let us just go for a walk up the Brecon Beacons. We did that a couple of weeks ago. We had lots of energy. We said, let's go. And do you know, there was a moment when all these wild horses just cantered past us. And it was like being in that Lloyd's advert. And it was truly magical. And you looked out onto this great panoramic landscape and you just felt the joy and the presence of God. Sometimes we go and we seek out a little bistro in, uh, in Bristol. We have a little lunch together. Sometimes it's just like walking in Lee Woods or um, going to the cinema. But we just use it as a day to not think about work, to not bear any responsibilities and just luxuriate in the presence of God. I tell you, it does wonders for your mental health. Like Jelena said, it just, it's like a pampering of the head and the mind. It is amazing. So God says, if you, if you will call my Sabbath a delight and get all the goods of the kingdom from me on that day and look and seek to find the treasures of being in my presence and enjoying my creation, if you do that. And then secondly, he says, if you call my, if you honor, sorry, my holy day. Just trying to find that scripture. Is it up? There it is. And you, and and delight and the Lord's holy day honor. So, okay, so if you call the Lord's holy day 
honourable. Honourable is about giving weight to it. In the, um, the Hebrew, it means to, to kneel before something, just to give it honour and respect and to revere it. You know, there's supposed to be a certain reverence with which you come to the Sabbath, because God has made it a very special day. In the book of Genesis, it says he made it holy. He put his like holy stamp on that day. Now, I've got this theory that when God puts his stamp on one part, it's as almost as if he's saying the whole thing is made holy. I think there's something incredibly holy about the earth. And I think it is invested with divine life. I think when you look at it, I haven't been out into space. I don't know if any of you have. But people say when they look at the earth from space, there is something absolutely stunning, set apart, imbued with life. It's a fascinating planet to look at when you compare it to all the others that are dead. There's something holy and invested with the life, the divine life about the earth. And there's something about the Sabbath that he calls it. It's holy, meaning set apart. That day is set apart from all the other days. And I think that when God sets something apart, calling it holy, it's almost like he's, he's giving it eternal qualities. In the book of Genesis, that day doesn't end. You look at all the other days, they all say, and that was the end of the second day, or that was the end of the third day. The seventh day doesn't end. It's got these like eternal properties. And I think when God invites us into the Sabbath, He's saying, I want you to see your whole world, creation, the earth, human life. I want you to see it from the perspective of eternity. I want you to come out of the human systems that you're in, and I want you to be able to see it from the perspective of eternity. I think it's very liberating to do that. When you do a Sabbath, you feel liberated from the kind of the worries and concerns of the world. And you just feel like you're looking at it from an eternal, a different, a set apart perspective. You enter into it, when, into the Sabbath. You just, you, you just get the goods that are not of this world. And they set you to see things just really differently. I had an interesting conversation with someone I was mentoring. And we were discussing a quote from a writer who said, when God made the Sabbath holy, he makes time holy. I'm like, hmm, let's think about that. And she reflected that when she had done the Sabbath, her relationship with time was completely changed. She said, normally in my life, I wrestle with time. It's like a master that I fight against. I never have enough of it. I'm almost pleading with it. And it's this sort of, you know, un, um, it's an ungracious Lord and it's mastering me, but I never feel I have enough time. Or she says, it's like this obstacle and it's keeping me from the things that I want. I, th I see things in the future that I want and then time is just this blockade in the way. She said, it's two things. It's this, this horrible master, oppressive, and then it's this blockade. But she said, when I practice the Sabbath, she said something changed, and she said, I felt the giftedness of time. Isn't that a wonderful thing to say? She said, I felt like time was now a gift, and I just could enjoy it, and I could just spend it differently. What an incredible revelation that was. So, um, do you know, um, Tom Wright, he says that the Sabbath is to time what the temple was to the Jews to space. So the Sabbath is to time, what the temple was to space. It's this intersection between heaven and earth. It's where they collide together. Heaven comes down to earth. The Jewish people would meet their God 
in the temple of God. He would come and he would sit with them and he would reside with them. They would tangibly feel and taste his presence. And then on the Sabbath, that is where God came and collided with the earth in time and his presence could be savoured in and amongst his people. So we need to honour the Sabbath and we need to see that it is invested with some holy goods, some holy, holy, heavenly, eternal goods that are available to us if we choose to enter the Sabbath. Now, the even better thing, the even better thing comes in this scripture because God says, if you do these things, if you proclaim, if you make it and call it a delight, and if you honour my holy day, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I will give you the joy in the Lord. You will find it. You will find joy. Joy is this prolonged sense of well-being. It's this exuberant sense of utter, utter wellness. I think joy is also that sense of just knowing the providence of God that he has got everything under control. He is leading us towards an end that is actually good. It's a happy, happy ending. And when we, when we enter into like that God, that holy space, we get a sense of that eternal ending, which is, it is good. God's got this in hand. We can see awful things going on in front of us, but God has got it in hand. And in fact, it's not just, it's good, it's, it's amazing. It's an incredible, it's an incredible journey that he wants to take us on, which is going to culminate in something that we cannot even imagine. It's that good. So you will have the joy of the Lord because your spirit will get a sense of it, it will get a taste of it. You know, the Holy Spirit says he, he, can't, he kind of brings that foretaste of heaven. He will bring it to you. You get that joy of the Lord. And then it said that he will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights. Now, I like that sentence. I really like it because my big fear is always about going under. And I realize that in doing everything in my human effort, I'm literally, I'm operating in a spirit which is likely to lead me underground. But if I trust God, he will give me joy and he will set me up above. He will set me up in triumph. How many people hear that message? You know, if you don't feel like you are getting, well, if, if you feel like in your life, I'm just getting nowhere. And I'm just, I'm on the verge of going under all the time. Try practicing the Sabbath, because that promise is you will not go under. You will be lifted up in triumph. And it says also, it says you will feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. That inheritance in the Bible was all about land. It was all about provision. It was about God giving this special identity. But it was also about them fulfilling their God-given purpose. Who here wants to fulfill their God-given purpose? You will get to fulfill. That is your inheritance to live out the, the God purposes for your life to reveal God's glory, God's goodness, to reveal Christ. You know, Jesus says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath in the New Testament, which means he is this intersection between heaven and earth. 
He is the point where we enter into the eternal goods of God. Jesus is that Sabbath. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He's going to give us the taster, the essence, even the reality of the promised rest that is to come. Jesus brings it. And it doesn't mean to say we scrap the Sabbath, but it means we come into the Sabbath expecting to find Jesus as Lord of our Sabbath day. He is the Lord in whom we come into his presence and we are given the goods, the eternal goods of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? So this is what you need to do. This is the practical how-to. So if you think, actually, Kate has convinced me that I'm going to do this. I'm going to take one day out of my week and make it a Sabbath rest. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to do it. So number one, you just need to be intentional. It's really difficult to make it happen. You need to know that the forces of the world are against you. The demands of society are against you. The demands of the people around you are against you. You have to be really strong in making it an intentional act. You need to, if you can't take the same day off every week, you need to go through your diary and just sort of, you know, put a cross out of the days which you think you can actually take that whole day out. You need to be intentional. You need to tell people as well, because people forget that you're taking a Sabbath day and they go, oh, you know, can you pop over and, I don't know, help me clear out my wardrobe and take clothes to charity? I, I'm thinking what, on my feet here. But, you know, people might say, would you come and help me with this job or do something for me? You just need to say, actually, I'm going to take this as my Sabbath day. I'm going to do no work, do nothing. I'm going to rest and just enjoy God and his presence and his earth, his creation. I'm just going to enjoy. And so you be intentional about it. Number two, have a think. Have a think about the things that really help you to connect with Jesus. Have a think about the things that really energize you in the earth that he's given out there that just make you feel replenished. Write them down. What is it that you like, that you feel energized by? People are energized by different things. And you know, people are energized by different things at different times. So sometimes you're gonna to have to ask the Lord to help you. Say, Lord, what, what is it that you think that I'd be energized by? Is it just to sit down and just write a song? Is it to have read a book and just get really immersed in some writing by somebody I just really admire and I love listening to? What is it? that I can do. Sometimes it is just getting out into the open spaces, you know, going down to the sea and just smelling the sea air. What is it that makes you feel really energized and feel like you, you're permitted to do that thing? You are permitted to luxuriate in the presence of God on your Sabbath. What do you equate with that word? Luxuriate. And number three, you need to make a list of all those things that you are not going to do on that Sabbath. So these are things which really drain you of energy. They drain the life out of you. These are the things that you think, actually, this, for me, equates with work. There are some things that you do and you think, actually, that, that is work. Or sometimes there are things which you're doing in your own strength to further and progress your own life. And sometimes you need to trust God for those things and actually not pursue them on a Sabbath and say, I'm going to really trust God and not do anything to pursue that thing. And that is how I'm going to 
keep my Sabbath. So make a list of what you're not going to do. It's actually really helpful because you feel you really do. I was chatting to another mentor and she said I was really struggling. It's like this monster came out of me because I just wanted to further my own life by doing this one job. And I just felt like I had to sort of tussle with God. And I said, well, don't be religious about it. Don't be religious about it, but just, you know, seek God in prayer. What does he want you to do? What is he saying about it? So those are the to do and the not to do and to be intentional. So I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope that I've inspired you with an image and captivated you with an image of what the Sabbath could look like and the goods that you will get from just obeying God in that area of your life because it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. And it's there if you want it, but it's still there if you don't. God is offering it to you conditionally. So I'm going to end now with my big idea. And my big idea around the Sabbath is this. The discipline of the Sabbath is about remembering we are God's creation. We are made not just for work, but to enjoy the presence of Jesus in creation. The discipline of the Sabbath is about remembering we are God's, made not just for work, but to enjoy the presence of Jesus in creation. Let's just have a quick prayer, and then I'm going to hand over to Philip. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you soak these words? Would you soak them in power? Lord, may they land in a place where they can bear fruit. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us in this room would have a revelation tonight of that, that meaning of that text, Lord, and a revelation of the Sabbath. Holy Spirit, you give it to us as a gift. Jesus, you said the Sabbath was made for man for his benefit, not the other way around. Lord, we want to benefit. We want to benefit from the Sabbath. Show us how we can benefit fully. Lord, receive all the goods of your kingdom that you want to just shower upon our lives. Holy God, let us benefit from every single one of them. In Jesus' name, amen.